Hey everybody, this is Rachel Amaday and you are listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast. Uh, this has mostly just been me talking at you and feeling very alone in my little basement studio, but pretty soon I'm going to have some interviews and I'm super excited to bring that to you all. I also decided I've been talking about doing a paid subscription where I'm taking on, um, I'm having an Answering Atheist series. We're going to talk about some political stuff. We're going to have a question and answer day. I want to do all of that, but I have to wait till the school year starts. Things are just too chaotic with kids and schedules and having family in town and little mini trips. And I decided if I start this now, I'm going to have to skip weeks. It's just going to be frustrating. I have already started my Answering Atheist series. I'm super excited about it. Um, and I started it based on a conversation I was having with some atheists online that was very, very good. One of the things they posted is this graphic that um, I believe Christopher Hitchens created with an organization that he had, which it seems like he's abandoned since. I'll have to go dig into that a little bit more. But it was a graphic that is actually based on a graphic I use in my book. And this graphic shows, the one that I use in my book, shows over 63,000 interlinked connections between Bible verses throughout scripture. So when I say the New Testament is an 80% repeat of the old, that is a legitimate claim. And this graphic kind of shows just how interlinked the Bible actually is and how repetitive it is. The same ideas, the same concepts, the same laws, the same verses being brought up from Genesis to Revelation, which people often don't notice as they read the New Testament. They don't know there's that foundation all the way back from the beginning to define the terms being used and define the words that are being used. But this graphic shows that it's a beautiful graphic. Well, there's an atheist version of that trying to prove that the Bible has all of these inconsistencies. And so I decided to take on every single claim of inconsistency on the graph that they made. I think they have about 12,000 or something. I don't know. It's hopefully less than that. However, I've started on that already. And I will be very honest with you. I'm very, very disappointed with the Christopher Hitchens lack of research regarding the so-called inconsistencies that they've listed so far. They are very, very, very easily explained away. And so it'll be interesting to go through that. I also am excited to share archaeological evidence of scripture, scientific evidence, um, some of which I list in my book, etc. It's going to be fun. Anyways, I'm already digging into all of this other stuff I'm going to give to any paid subscribers, um, but I'm not going to start till this school year starts. So <laughs> we're going to wait a couple months for that. In the meantime, my book has finally been released. And you guys, I'm just going to say this to you, my Substack subscribers who are paying attention to this. It's not perfect. And I knew it wouldn't be. I knew that my process, I didn't have a lot of money to put into it. I didn't have a lot of money to spend on the editing process. I have a wonderful editor, my sister, but she didn't have a lot of time and I didn't have a huge budget for her. And so we just did the very best we could. It's not perfect. If I could go back and rewrite some of these chapters, I absolutely would. 
good. And I want to specifically get into some of the nitty gritty that these chapters go over and maybe a good way since you all have been with me. I know some of you have already purchased the book. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear from you regarding some of this, but I'm I'm going to give you just some ways to approach the book because this is how I was thinking as I was writing it. The first is I wanted to treat each chapter as its own essay. So you're going to see repetitive information come back throughout the book because some of it needs to be repeated in order for me to get the point across in each chapter. And I think that's okay because a lot of this information might be new for the mainstream Christian believer. And so having that repetition might actually help solidify the claims that I'm making around those concepts and also just how broadly these concepts actually affect different areas of our Christian walk and how applicable they are across a gamut of things. One interesting conversation I was listening to recently, there's a guy I listened to named Brett Weinstein. He's got a great podcast called The Dark Horse Podcast, and I very much have related to him on some of the social cultural issues that have happened the last few years, but I don't think he has a faith. He comes across very much as an atheist, and he was interviewing um, a a man who is of Middle Eastern descent, who I think is a British citizen. His name's Majid, I think. Um, Really intelligent man, has an incredible story. They had this great conversation, but towards the end of it, they were talking about faith and and they treat the bible stories and other religious stories they call them myths and they were talking about the value of these myths to society and something they mentioned was that these myths no longer really are enough because we've somehow evolved past them as a culture and i want to tell you i vehemently disagree and one thing this book does do is it shows you how wrong that claim is that biblical truth is the truth and it will be the truth till the end of time that we have an incredible solid foundation. Not only that, but how do these principles apply now? They apply across a broad spectrum. Uh, they, They apply across every aspect of human living if you understand them properly and you dig into them properly. And so I I was excited as I was listening to the podcast thinking, well, my book actually shows otherwise. My book actually is giving believers this ability to make the claim, no, we have not evolved past the Bible. (laughs) That is ridiculous. Just because we have more technology does not mean that as humans, we are different than what we are seeing in scripture, nor that these ideas and that these stories don't have the same amount of value, if not more, for our culture today and for the times to come, especially as we're seeing, I think, many versions of the Revelation story begin to pop up, take place, and happen. We can now see how it would be possible for the entire globe to decide to take a mark. I think previously that whole concept, people thought, no way will this ever happen. People are never going to be this dumb. But think about fear what the injection of fear did to the world was make everybody willing to take something that they didn't even know what it was. Okay. And that's, I'm not judging you if you took what I'm talking about. I'm not judging you if you didn't. Um, I'm just saying we now can see how that could take place, right? We have so many examples of this. Um, And so if you didn't believe the Bible before, man, does the Bible even apply more given what we're seeing right now? All right, let's dig into some more of this book that is now available. I just want to let you all know, for those of you who have ordered it, again, thank you. Chapters two, three, and five 
are the first chapters I wrote, actually. And I wrote them, I started writing them five years ago. And these are the chapters I wish I could rewrite because in the process of five years of writing, I feel like I became a better writer. <laughs> I understood my style that much more. And so those seem to me um, to be the most, they're so con- they're very content dense. There's a lot of information in those chapters. And I still fully believe that the majority of that information is accurate and true and reliable. And I'm excited for you to read those chapters, especially The Real Jesus, because there's some fun science in there. But writing style-wise and just editing-wise of my own writing, um, Those become really content dense. And I put chapters two and three. So let's just go down the chapters. I'll give you a little review, my own uh, summary here of what this book goes through. And so for those of you that maybe haven't purchased it, you can know exactly what you're going to encounter when you get into it if you'd like to, which I always, I always like. I never want people to purchase anything, you know, in my past with merchandise and music or anything if they don't actually know what they're purchasing. <laughs> so um, you're not going to have any shock after you listen to this podcast today. So chapter one is defining terms. By the way, my introduction is very long and I recommend you read it. Um, and it just talks about my ideas and the process and why I'm writing the book. And again, I'm writing it because of love. I believe our definition of love in this culture and in the West and in Europe we have messed with what love really is. And the Bible tells us what love is. Love of God is obedience to his principles, his things. And this makes sense because love is relational, right? It means that you care about what the other person wants, likes, thinks, does. And if we care for God in that way, then we're interested in serving his kingdom the way he likes it, the way he wants it. Not thinking about ourselves so much in the relationship, but thinking about the other in the relationship. And so we need to get back to what love really means according to the Lord. That also includes in how we love others. And I certainly deal with a lot of areas where I believe the church needs to return. I believe that in repentance, there is blessing. And I believe that we really need that blessing right now. We need to come back to an understanding of who God is and his word, the original meaning, which means we're going to go back further than a thousand years. We're going to go back further than the Reformation. We're going to go back further. Okay. We need to get back to what did God give out of his own mouth, from his own hand, what is his, not what is man's. And in all of those definitions, we're going to find beautiful ways to love others. But I really get to some of the areas where I think the church has strayed so far, they don't even know they're not doing some of the things that I think the Bible calls us to do. I think we all know that the Bible tells us we are to be loving to one another in our generosity. We're to take care of the poor, the widow, and the orphan. We are supposed to welcome the stranger with open arms and treat them like family. We are supposed to have this attitude towards the world of giving and loving and caring, right? I think we all probably have heard those sermons in church on Sunday. Maybe we realize the church doesn't always do that the best they can, but we know that. We know we're supposed to stand for life, that God is a God of life, and so we care about that. Okay, I think a lot of Christians know that already. We've got some people straying from that, but they know. We know God values marriage. Um, There's a lot that we know, and I deal with some of this, 
But it's a lot of the things that I think the church maybe isn't talking about that I focus on in a lot of the book. So here we go. If you want to know more on that and those ideas, read the introduction. The first chapter is defining terms. There are terms that I kind of use throughout the book and terms that I think really help us understand the Bible itself that most Christians don't know because they're Hebrew terms for the most part. And so they're unfamiliar. I accidentally use those words and and then realize my audience has no idea what they're talking about, what I'm talking about, and has no idea what those terms are about. And I hate doing that to people. So I just give you some terms towards the beginning, just in case I wrote them in and I didn't explain them well enough. Now you've got a tiny glossary and a little bit more about the I would say the strangeness of the environment of scripture from the Western mindset. You know, the Bible was not written in the West. It was not written from a Greek mindset. And so we kind of have to get out of that mindset in order to understand the Bible, if that makes sense to you. It certainly does to me. Chapter two, symptoms of a problem. In this chapter, I talk about the family a lot. I believe the entire Bible is about God and his family and how he is going to restore his family to what he originally intended. And this is such an incredible giant, right? This is the vast story of mankind, but it's really about our relationship with God. And if we don't understand family, we will not understand what the Bible is talking about. We will not understand the Lord and his actions and what he is doing. We won't understand scriptures about jealousy, scriptures about marriage, scriptures about children, scriptures, you know, there even the Ten Commandments become difficult if you don't understand God's family and his ideal version of family. There are tough things that come up in this chapter that I think many of my more liberal friends will not like. Um, By the way, I think I get a lot of those things. I get all the things that both my conservative and liberal friends and, you know, my mainstream Christian friends and my atheist friends, I get it all out of the way early in the book, okay? By about chapter five, you're finally going to be out of some of those weeds, but it does, I, I put all the hard stuff in that regard at the beginning. And here's why. I really do believe that without the family, both God's family and the a strong family as a social unit, cultures collapse. Not, not just small groups, not just small areas, but entire cultures collapse around getting this part messed up. When we get our family identity, who we are in Christ, how God created us, how he has an identity for us that he put into us, that we don't get to just attempt to escape that we are supposed to have union in a family in a particular way. When we are not seeking God's version of family, it's just, I believe, a disaster for culture. And that's that's wreckage, guys. That's pain for people. I just feel like we're not helping people enough understand this. And in so doing, in that regard, we're actually leaving people in cages and in darkness that they don't even want to be in. You know, many of them might not know that. Many many of them are just taking the cultural Kool-Aid. This is going to fix my problem if I'm free or if I get to do this or if I get to do that or if I get to live this way that I want to live. But in reality, it's pulling them further and further away from deep relationship with the Lord. I think that's a problem and it's tragic. And that's why I put it at the beginning. Chapter three is the real Jesus. 
This is a very long chapter because there's a lot that I wanted to dig into. I talk about the things that Jesus did that we don't do and things that Jesus didn't do that we do. Um, I also talk about the DNA of Christ and the Father and how that translates to his building of a body. And this is some science overlapping, um, but why I do this here, why did I put this here? Well, I think in order to understand some of the rest of what's coming, both in what I believe the laws of God are, um, but also the a very harsh chapter, chapter five, which is church history, which is very hard. It was hard for me to learn church history, to be honest. And many mainstream believers don't understand a lot about their church history and doctrine. If we don't understand the DNA of Christ, then we assume that everything we're learning from mainstream Christianity belongs to him. And we should not make that assumption. So we have to understand Jesus' connection with the Father, how obvious he makes that connection, how he is at the beginning and where we find him at the beginning. A great example, um, many of the um, more Hebraic versions or scholars that I know about talk about this word, the et, in the Old Testament. Now, the et was not translated, but it's a word that shows up over a thousand times in the Hebrew Bible. And it's the Aleph, which is the first Hebrew letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the Tav, which is the last. When we see Alpha and Omega in the New Testament, it's really the Aleph and the Tav. And the Aleph and the Tav, I firmly believe throughout the entire Old Testament, and it shows up in the first sentence in scripture, the Aleph and the Tav, even though it's not translated in English, so you don't get to see it. That's Jesus. And so whenever we think Jesus isn't in the law and in the Old Testament, well, one of the reasons just might be we have this translational problem with the et. We don't see the Aleph and Tav there because he's not mentioned, but he is there in the Hebrew version. And so I just talk about Jesus, who he really was and who he really is. And I hopefully lay out some good evidence for you all to understand how much he is the laws of God and why he had to abide by all of them. And he had to teach them in order for him to validly be the Messiah. And so um, there's lots of evidence throughout this book of that. Chapter four is the big 10. This is just a deeper understanding of the 10 commandments because I think they are the next step in. Once you understand that all the laws are about loving God and loving others, those are the two big ones. Then you step down into the next part of the hierarchical chart, which is five laws about loving God and five laws about loving others, the 10 commandments. And there's some good stuff in there, guys. Um, for uh, again, some great ways to answer a answer atheists about why the Ten Commandments seem to not include certain things like being against slavery. Well, I show you where they actually do. And um, just digging deeper into why they are so important and foundational. They are miraculous in their ability to cover the entire breadth and length of human history, including today. I love, I loved writing about these. Chapter five is church history. As previously mentioned, this is a difficult chapter. Um, there's a lot of church history that's really, really ugly. And basically my point in giving this is to show you how we came to many of the doctrines we have today and why they are not old enough. And so hopefully when you come out of that chapter, this is not, guys, this is not to demonize any particular denomination. At this point, most mainstream Christians denominate denominations have problematic 
theology. And frankly, I'm sure I do as well. So I will say welcome to the club for everyone. If you think you know everything, um, I think you're going to be surprised. I certainly know I don't know everything, and I'm working hard on just learning as much as I can. But the church history is there not to critique individuals and denominations today. However, it is there to critique some of the institutional decisions to show you how they were made and how we got to where we are today. And some areas that I think as God looks at human history, things that break his heart, and we should face those things and be willing to admit where we have gone astray. Chapter six, faith and politics. We have to talk about this in the United States because for many people, their politics is their faith. And I would say that even for people who call themselves Christians. And so we need to understand how to balance, how to be a great citizen of the United States of America, how to stand for good, righteous ideas, but how to not make our politics our religion and how to stop being div divided by politics, but instead united around the word of God. Yes, Yes, I believe we should be engaged in culture. I don't see any biblical reason not to be. Um, and so how do we balance that? And how are we supposed to behave with all of that? Uh, I have chapter seven, the sin operation. This is just dealing with how the church has traditionally dealt with sin and the idea of sin and trying to turn a couple of things on their head. Um, I believe some one of the most dangerous doctrines to promote from the pulpit is, hey, you're a horrible person, but don't worry, God's got you covered. And I talk about the psychology of that particular doctrine, why I don't think it's scriptural, and um, why I think it leads people into more sin instead of leading them into freedom. And so um, even though there's truth in that phrase, it's not the whole truth. And that's why it's psychologically problematic. Uh, you might find that chapter interesting. Um, chapter eight, the money trap. I talk about money just because I think we need to talk about money. We have a very wealthy society to date. People are struggling now. But when I started this money chapter, it was during the time frame where people were absolutely um, doing well, it seemed like. The economy was doing well. And globally, we're still one of the most wealthy countries per capita in the world. And what we export, right, what we spend our money on, how we receive our goods, there's some stuff in there, guys, that has been absolutely wicked. And we have been guilty, as guilty as the rich young ruler that Jesus spoke with in the New Testament as guilty of making our money off the backs of the poor and the defenseless and in ways we didn't even realize. But I know people are waking up to that given the current political climate and just having global supply chains being disrupted. People are starting to realize, now, wait a second, why has this been happening this way? We have been able to get things cheaply for a reason, but at what cost? Um, and where are we spending our money? And what is tithe? Where do we get that idea from? Why is 10% you know, connected to this concept? Is that right and biblical? Is it the whole truth or is it just part of the truth? We need to talk about money, how we spend our money, where we get our things, um, and what's going on there. For the believer, this should matter because this is all about people, right? How you use your money is just as important as every other aspect of your life. And believe me, I bet you, your bank account tells the story as to whether or not you truly serve the Lord or not. Chapter nine, what is the heart? 
I did this chapter because I think there's some fascinating things about the heart that relate to the temple. Um, and I, I make those connections. I also think that the Bible treats the heart a little bit differently than we do culturally. It's not necessarily just about your emotions. It's a connection between your mind and your emotions. And a lot of the time it's really about your mind. And so what is the heart? Um, I have a chapter on worship. I had to do this chapter. I could write a whole book on music and, and the church. Interestingly enough, a lot of the chapter on worship is not actually about music because I firmly believe if you're going to be a worship leader, that really means that you're obeying the Lord. And for those who are in a leadership position in the church, but who are unwilling to bow their knee to God's kingdom outside of that space, um, that's a dangerous place for you to be. Believe me, I know. You do not want to be disobeying the Lord in your personal life and trying to promote his cause from a pulpit. It does not go well. There's a reason. Being a true worshiper is a lot more than just saying the right thing on Sundays. And so I talk about that. Chapter 11, technology. As a church, people are not interested in this because they don't want to give up their technological devices. To that, I say, get over it. We need to sit down and have the conversation. Is it worth it to you to grieve the Holy Spirit with what you entertain yourself with? Do you think the Holy Spirit enjoys being in the same space with you as you view content or view social media that is negative for your mind, body, and spirit? If the answer to that, if you, th if you think the Holy Spirit wants to be in that space, then please continue. <laughs> But I think for most honest believers, we understand we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit with how we entertain ourselves, with anything, let alone with how we entertain ourselves. And so we have to talk about our use of technology because the majority of it, the majority of screen time, I would say, is related to entertainment. Um, social media, I would say, is entertainment and it's vast it's very quickly taking the place of entertainment actually there's some interesting studies on this recently out but we need to talk about our use of technology and we need to do it for our kids we really need to have this conversation and so please i know so many people when they hear about oh let's talk about technology they want to check out because they don't want to give up their favorite tv shows they don't want to give up seeing those movies they don't want to give up their social media time and i just have to ask then who is on the throne if God can't enter the space between you and technology, then technology has taken the throne in our hearts. And we got to take it off that throne. We need to get back to relationship with God first and foremost. I truly believe the end times believer might have to give up all technology. They might have to leave it completely behind. And I'm sure you all can see what's going on right now and understand why that could possibly be. If we're not willing to do that, we're not going to make it. This is so important. And the last chapter is called Writing Paul. And that means I am trying to put Paul in proper context. I truly believe much of our problem with modern Christian doctrine is, a, is an unhealthy obsession with Paul and with doctrines that we've decided to make up that are new from Paul that have no foundation anywhere else in scripture. And because of this, we have 33,000 denominations. Paul has been used, as Peter puts it, he has been misinterpreted to the destruction of many. And so we've got to talk about Paul. There's some really difficult things that Paul says. And have we really thought about what they mean? 
outside of the most tertiary reading, um, outside of the most surface view? Have we really considered who Paul was? And okay, if the version that we learn in church all the time is correct, how does that jive with who Paul was and with what Paul was actually doing? Because we see Paul in Acts still doing all of the Jewish things. He hasn't changed his behavior at all. So why do we believe that he's changed doctrine all of a sudden? So we've we've got to talk about Paul in the most real way we can. Okay. That's my book, guys. So now you know what you're diving into. Um, now you know why I addressed each of these topics. I think they apply to us today. I think we should talk about these things today. We need to be open to these discussions now. And I hope it blesses you. And even if you're challenged or pushed by a lot of how I write and what I write, um, I hope that you feel comfortable to reach out to me and we can have the conversation or to do your own legwork. Go do your own research. Um, look up what I've found in encyclopedias and historians and um, great teachers. Look, look this stuff up on your own. Figure out, oh, this is right. This doesn't seem right. I got to do this. And then, guys, here's the, here's the big, big one. You got to pray. You got to take new information to the Lord and just say, Lord, how do you want me to serve you next? What's my next step with you in obedience? I know there's a couple things God's been asking me to do that I've been forgetful to, and and I'm burdened by that. And so I'm going to really try to make those things happen coming up here soon that are in scripture. They're my next steps of obedience to the Lord, um, some which I don't even talk about in this book, but they're, they're the ones that I know I need to take on next. Do that with God. He's such a good dad. When you go to him and you're like, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to do the next right thing. I think he welcomes that with open arms. He has nothing but joy in that discussion because it shows a humble and contrite spirit and a repentant heart. For those of you struggling in sin or feeling um, offended, maybe by some of the things I write, um, for those of you who don't feel like you're ready to take any of those next steps. Uh, I just want to remind you, when you're ready, God is there. God is the one pursuing you. He's after you and your heart. He loves you like a good father loves their child. And there is no doubt in my mind that if he's after you, whatever it is that's causing you to stumble, he's going to allow it to be painful because he wants you to come back to him. I always think it's when it's when my sin is no longer painful for me. It's when my sin is no longer a struggle that I should be concerned, right? Because that means that perhaps I've reached a point where God's like, fine, do whatever you want. You know, I, I'm done. I don't want him to be done. I don't want him to ever be done and just let me have my way. And he does this with peoples in scripture. He's, he basically lets them have whatever they want, okay? I'm no longer gonna protect you from any of the consequences, um, but I'm also not going to encourage you to obey. Just go do what you want. Boy, that never ends up well. And so I would just say, you know, for me and for all of us who are trying to follow the Lord, it takes humility. We have to go to God ready to adjust to his kingdom, not trying to force him to adjust to ours. 
I'm so excited that I finally get to share this book with you guys. I hope it's a blessing. Thank you again to those of you who have purchased it. I am working on an audiobook. It should be out. I'm hoping by Christmas I'll get that done and get it sounding good and get that out. Um, and then I'm hoping to actually hold a couple of events where maybe it, they're discussion-based um, or maybe they're just based on one of these chapters and we can really dig into some of those ideas. Um, the idea of book signing to me feels weird, but you know, if anybody wants a signed copy of the book, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. I'm not famous and it won't be worth any more to you, but I am happy to do it um, because I love you. And I know that, uh, hey, we're a family. Uh, being personal is always kind of a step up. So um, I'm happy to do that for you. If you'd like it that way, just let me know. All right, guys, I will be back next week.